before we start, there are a few things that I want to bring to your attention. Um, if you're visiting, uh, we ask that you would please uh, fill out a visitor's card. Um, we'd love to uh, give you some information about us, about, uh, about our church here. I want to give a thank you to those who worked on the gazebo. Ain't, uh, Ain't Debbie, we had uh, Miss Jane um, and Carly, too, I think. Thank you for working on that. It looks great. Um, I was saying this morning as we were preparing, uh, it felt like we got the B team starting today. That's what it feels like. But now that I'm looking around, I'm thinking, eh, I think we got two A teams. I don't feel like a B team right now. feel pretty good about it. But um, a few more things. Uh, it is Maddie Shankle's birthday. So I want everybody before we leave to say happy birthday to Maddie. Maddie, if everybody doesn't say happy birthday, you let me know. Talk about it afterwards. Um, so last night... Contrary to popular belief, I was showering. My mom would disagree with that. I was showering, and uh, I missed a call. So I got out of the shower. I saw that I had a missed call from Pastor Shane. I was like, oh, man. And he just sent a text that said, holler at me. So I called him back. He said, hey, what do you think about uh, preaching tomorrow? I said, I guess I'll do it. I mean, <laughs> only option you gave me. Um, but yeah, I said, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. I'd love to. Um, so we're going to do that this morning. Uh, if there are any that are going to Children's Church, we're going to go now. Thanks, Mom, for doing that. Got a couple go for us running out there. Mark 2. So turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. That's what we'll be in this morning. Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4. We're talking about living worthily. This is part 2 of uh, this, this, uh, this living worthily uh, text that we're talking about. Paul has caught them up on how he's doing and what he was anticipating to happen to him as, his trial, as he awaits trial. He's joyful and he wants the Philippians to have increased joy in Christ. So he's turned his attention now away from his present circumstances and now he's turned his attention to the Philippians. In chapter 1, verse 27, the Philippians are exhorted by Paul to live worthy of the gospel of Christ. These believers are to live in Macedonia and Philippi, live in the Roman city under Roman rule, but yet they're supposed to live like they're in heaven like a citizen of heaven. Believers are making a statement about the gospel not only with their lips, but also with their lives. The gospel is about love, therefore we should be known as loving people. The gospel is about justice, therefore we should be justice-seeking people. The gospel is about life, therefore we should display uh, visible joy in our gatherings and in our relationships. The gospel is about liberty, therefore we should not live as stuffy legalists. The gospel is about humility, therefore we should live as a humble people, gladly serving others. Paul tells the Philippians some specific ways one might live like a citizen of heaven. Even though we'll be opposed by the world, we're to be courageously steadfast, standing firm on the truth, not letting the pressure from the outside cause disunity inside. The pressure from the outside is suffering, 
which Christians are gifted with, but believers should strive to be unified. Paul continued that thought here in chapter 2 as we come to our text this morning. Let's read it. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Read it with me. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. There's a few points that I think that we get from today's text. And the first one is that there are certain blessings, certain benefits that believers experience, which motivate us to seek unity and to seek humility. Let's read verse 1 again. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. The if here refers to certainties, not possibilities. It better be understood as as since or because. For example, if the sun came up today, you would get paid. What does that mean? It means you're certainly going to get paid today. The sun's going to come up and you are going to get paid. If you want an attitude adjustment, you should share your testimony with someone. It sets your perspective right and helps remind you of what God has done for you in Christ. In verse 1, it says, encouragement in Christ. He knows you. Of course, he knows you. But what's so much more amazing than that is that us sinners know Christ. The one who spoke the world into existence not only invites us to draw near to him, but he calls me his friend, the creator of the universe. Now that's encouraging. If that's not encouraging, I don't know what is. I remember as a brand new believer, just having experienced what it, to, just having experienced what it was like to be under condemnation, to feel the weight of that. And then having that understanding that I'm no longer at enmity with God. I'm no longer shaking my fist at him. In verse 1, it says, comfort from love. Everyone wants and needs to be loved. Everyone does. Blake taught us about this love in Romans 5, 8. God loves us unconditionally, but we have an affection for those as long as it's reciprocated type of affection. That's what we have. But God's is unconditional. Those he has chosen, his elect people, he has loved with a sweet, accepting kind of love. He did that when we weren't loving him, as Romans 5, 8 says. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That love compels us to love him. Why do we love? Because he loved first. 2 Corinthians 5.14, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. His love compels us to love him. The reason we love is because he loved us first. Nothing can separate us from the unconditional pursuing love. Romans 8, 35 through 38, this famous passage. Let's read that together. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, No powers? Okay, we'll keep going. Nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ our Lord. Knowing that He loved us first and will continue to love us, that's comforting, right? That's real comfort. In the love of the Father, they have found deep consolation, the voice that speaks to their sorrows, the hand that touches their hearts. Verse 1 also says, Any participation in the Spirit. Having the Spirit is what differentiates us from lost people. The Holy Spirit seals us and guarantees our inheritance. We have fellowship with Him by the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Also know that The Lord is with us even as we suffer. The Spirit is an ever-present help in our times of need. We know that from Psalm 46, 1, to the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. He's there. He's present in our times of need. Verse 1 also says, affection and sympathy. Affection and sympathy is the compassion and the mercy we receive from Christ and that we pour out on others. If these things are true, and they are, then, as as Paul said, complete my joy by, the second thing that we get from this text today is that we need to be unified. If affection and sympathy is the compassion and mercy we receive from Christ and we give to others, If that's true, then we need to complete his joy by being unified. Let's read verse 2 again. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Paul is serious about joy. The Philippians have been a joy to him, a source of joy. But he wants more. He wants them to live worthily. Paul wants them to live unified as one. Ligon Duncan says he is building one temple, one building, one people, one family from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation to be the abode in which he dwells, the family in which he fellowships, the house of his glory, the display of his praise, and the splendor to the world. God's big plan of all of redemption is to bring together his church, the body of Christ, under the lordship of Christ, all one, though we are from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people, though we are different in a thousand different ways that he is going to bring us, that he is bringing us, and that he has brought us together in Christ Jesus. Notice the word same in verse 2. i said it several times. Being of the same mind, having the same love. Mark, I wish your brother was here. I guess I have to talk about him behind his back. 
Yeah. We're to have the same mindset. We're to have the same mindset. Blake Goforth and I do not think the same about college football. We disagree heavily, actually. See, Blake Goforth likes Florida, okay? I'm not sure that Blake's ever been to Florida. But, hey, that doesn't make him wrong, though. That doesn't make him incorrect. I live in Tennessee, and I pull for the Vols. And if you ask me why, even though lately I kind of feel embarrassed to say, I'll tell you that, yeah, it's how I was raised. I was born and raised in Tennessee. I was born and raised a Tennessee fan. Being born and raised in Tennessee and then cheering for Florida is like rooting for the Russians whenever the Olympics come around. That's what it's like. So, that doesn't make sense to me. But when it comes to our favorite football teams, we can disagree. Blake can keep pulling for the Russians. I'm going to keep rooting for the Stars and Stripes. That's fine. We can think differently about ball teams, about things of that nature. But when it comes to who Christ is and how he's commanded us to live, we should be of the same mind. We should be Christ-minded, gospel-minded, ministry-minded. What ties us together? What binds us together? Christ and the gospel. Many of us here, we don't have anything in common. Nothing that we got in common except Jesus. We should be binded together. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. It means being on the same page about Christ and about the gospel. Jesus, in the high priestly prayer of John 17, he asked this, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Everyone who is united to Christ is united to everybody else who is united in Christ. So we're brought into one family. And Paul wants the reality of our oneness to be manifested in how we treat one another. We are one with the saints in Asia where Adam and Andy are living. Seems like everybody's getting a shout out now, huh? Paul's joy would be complete if they lived out their unity in the gospel. Third point I think we get from today's text. So we need to be humble serving one another. A believer can't live like a citizen of heaven and be unified with those believers in his sphere of influence and be prideful and be arrogant. C.S. Lewis says this about pride. The essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. 
Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are all flea bites in comparison. John Stott has been quoted as saying, in every aspect of the Christian life, pride is our greatest foe and humility our greatest ally. Pride comes from all angles. You can be rich and successful and smart and influential and be prideful so that you look down on others that aren't as rich, successful, smart, influential. That's conceit. Or you can be less rich and look at the rich guy and ridicule him for being rich or for being whatever else. You find something wrong with them because you are prideful. And that is selfish ambition. Verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. C.S. Lewis says pride is essentially competitive. Pride doesn't get pleasure in having something. Pride gets pleasure in having more of something than others. Don't be selfish. Pride and selfishness go hand in hand. The selfish person wants it all himself because he deserves it or he thinks he deserves it. When the reality is that everything above hell is a privilege. We're a bit discombobulated today. Our service was a little bit. Shouldn't we be grateful for the fact that we still have a place where we can meet We still have a place where we can worship. We still have a place where we can meet with other believers, have fellowship with them, and worship our Creator. Other people don't have that. And yet, whenever uh, it aggravates me whenever people talk about sound being off or something, I'm like, man, there's people all over the world that can't meet, that are dying because they can't meet, and because they try to meet together with other believers, and we complain about the sound messing up. Everything above hell is a privilege. The humble person can consider others more important than yourself. The humble person is helpful. So let's confess every evidence of pride. Let's be humble. Let's serve one another in humility. Let's put us out our pride and let's seek humility so that we can be helpful. There's some application I think that we get from today's text. The first one is a question for you. Have you experienced the benefits that result from being united to Christ? Have you received those benefits? Encouragement in Christ, comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, affection and sympathy. Do you experience those benefits? If not, you might not be a believer. And if that's the case, then you need to see yourself for what you are, which is a wretched sinner in the eyes of God. You need to repent Trust Christ's work on the cross as your own. The second application I think we get from today is that we need to seek unity by being gospel-focused, by being gospel-centered. You can do this 
by sharing the gospel with others. You talk about what you think about. The things that you think about most is most of the time what you talk about. If football or anything else in your life comes up more than Jesus does, that's where we got a problem. If you share the gospel with others, it's a clear sign of someone who is gospel-centered, who is living a gospel-centered life. The third application I think that we get is that pride destroys unity. Destroys it. Fight pride. Seek humility in a few ways. One way you can fight pride and one way that you can seek to be humble is by studying God's word. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Study God's word. It will humble you. It will humble you. Another way I think that we can fight pride and seek humility is by using the means of grace, being active in church, taking the Lord's Supper, We need to be reminded of our sin and of God's goodness. That's why we have the time of confession every week. We have that because we need that. We need to sit before the Lord, be quiet, and notice and have God point out our sin to us. You can't repent of what you don't see. We need to be reminded of our sin and of God's goodness. It helps us to stay dependent on the Lord and to keep saying, Lord, let your will be done and not mine. Do you experience those benefits of grace in your life? If not, you might need to repent. Might need to trust Christ's work on the cross as your own. See yourself for what you are, a wretched sinner, deserving of nothing but hell. And repent and trust your Savior today. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed a little early today. That's fine though. Father, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, despite all the last minute substitutions, despite all the troubles that we might have faced in doing this, despite the stress that comes with that. Thank you for the fact that we can meet and we can praise your name. Thank you for the fact, Lord, that we have a place where we can come and we can be with other believers six feet apart or not, mask or not, that we can have fellowship with others. Thank you for that, Father. Father, thank you for giving us your word to humble us. Thank you for using your word to show us our sin, to show us that we need you, Father, that we can't do it on our own. 
that only you can do it through us. Father, thank you for the fact that despite failing you over and over and over again, that you're willing to accept us with open arms. Thank you for that, Father. Father, as we go out into the world this week, I pray that you would help us live as Paul is telling the Philippians to live here. That we would be of the same mind, that we would have unity within the body. Father, I pray that we would do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But that in humility, we would count others much more significant than ourselves. Father, I pray that we would not look to our own interests, but that we would look to the interests of others. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending him 2,000 years ago to die on a cross for our sins, for living the perfect life that we could live and dying the death that we should have died. Thank you so much for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Stand. Let's just end in a praise of doxology for the word of God.